Yes, folks, it's Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific. I'm Fred McMurray, which this means it has to be time for... You are muted, lady. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is it Friday yet? No, it's only Friday <laughs> Eve. It's gotta be Friday. I'm just glad it wasn't me since everybody's constantly pulling on Elizabeth. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I have not been doing that lately. So the, the baton has been passed. <laughs> well, in all fairness, you have been absent. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome well, to Pillars of Franchising. Woohoo! What are we on the 28th of 29th? Oh, 29th already what the heck happened to september i don't know but it's it's going by way too quickly it sure is i'll tell you what's not going by too quickly are all these um these issues we're having with staffing and all this other fun stuff huh can we just be, be past that already well evidently not because now we're dealing with inflation and recession and all kinds of fun things which brings us to our word on the street today yeah absolutely so we stumbled across this uh survey and uh, our friends at ifa and gallagher and fran data had kind of published this all together it's the 2022 franchisee inflation survey mm -hmm. and um you know, I think it's hitting every industry a little bit differently. Certain, certainly our industry that Ray and I are in, um, ours, you know, I can personally say, I feel like we're getting out of the labor shortage, but we're dealing with inflation as it comes to the cost of fuel, which is really big when you have a fleet. Fuel costs, though they've come down significantly in the last couple of weeks, they're still well over what they were a year ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and we still have the inability to get a lot of supplies. So a lot of these issues that we ran into uh, have continued. So it's the strangest things too. Donald um, lost his phone. So we had to get a replacement. Can't find a phone case anywhere. Amazon, the Verizon store, nowhere. I mean, it's just the strangest things. So you never know based on industry what people are struggling to get. Yeah. Um, but some key findings from this report that are posted on the IFA website, if you're interested in going and looking at the whole entire thing, say that 90% of franchisees are experiencing moderate to substantial inflation impact. Yep. Uh, most impacted sectors are lodging at 90%, QSRs at 83%, and child-related services at 61%. 89% um, have raised prices of goods and services. 64% yep. are reported lower earnings due to uh, raising raises the uh, prices and QSR restaurants, especially retail stores, beauty. Um, so that's the bad news. Right. Well, good and I news, Kristen, tell us some good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is if, if, if there's some to share, I will say that, you know, not every market is impacted the same, not every uh, segment as you mentioned, the top three are still, you know, those are probably the hardest areas of impact, but there, there are several places in which it's not being impacted. For example, a lot of people right now are in rent 
you know, they're in rented buildings and that's not really a concern right now. Um, perhaps that's due to the availability of space. Um, so I don't see that to necessarily be a huge issue for folks. Um, you know, I don't think if you look at um, multi-unit compared to single unit, I think in a lot of ways, it's harder for single units to absorb some of these because they don't have multiple businesses to leverage costs across, it's just one. And so I think that tends to be a little bit of a problem, but it is still compared to having an independently owned business, this is still a great market to be in. Um, having the support of fellow owners and your franchisor, um, the really great thing about being a part of a system is that people are finding ways to leverage marketing dollars. For example, here in Chicago, we have marketing co-ops. So to have big market impact is a lot cheaper for all of us in this area because we pool our money together. Um, a lot of times franchisors are able to do corporate buys for the franchisees, which makes it really nice because then, you know, maybe you're getting a big break in how much you're paying for your supplies, whatever that key supply may be that everybody shares. Mm -hmm. So, and those are things that if you have an independent business, you just don't have um, business partners or, you know, I'll call them brothers and sisters in, in the franchise family analogy um, that you can pull money with. So I think that um, it's a really good time still to be in franchising. Um, we have had to, as reluctant as I am, have had to raise prices. And um, surprisingly, a lot of my customers have said, of course you have to, everybody is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mentioned I took my kid to Culver's, one of the favorite franchises that I like to visit. And we had uh, one meal plus an extra order of pretzel um, bites. And it was $18 just to feed one teenage boy a controlled, <laughs> like if I let him order himself, he'd order like three, but just a meal plus extra pretzel bites. And it was $18. Yeah. So the, the costs are everywhere. I think we all have to accept that that's just what's happening right now. And hopefully we get through this relatively soon. But the great news is we got a guest today who is a wealth strategist who's going to help us figure out how to plan for our futures and where to make good investments and things of that nature. So I, with this, I say we should get on with our guest. Yeah. And let me, before we do that, I, well, I'll just quickly say it while y'all are on screen. Um, if you have questions for our guests or any of our mentors, call us at 323-580-5755. So y'all take it away. Thank you so much, Elizabeth and Christian. Um, so I'd like to introduce you all to Mike, Mike Ringel. Ringel or Ringel? I'm sorry. Ringel. Ringel. There we yeah, go. <laughs> Mike Ringel, um, who is a wealth strategist, financial planner. Um, and we're really excited to, to have him on today because we know that so much of what goes into starting to have one unit or more than one unit um, involves finances, right? And you need someone in your corner uh, who can help you process a lot of those decisions and numbers. Um, can you tell us, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what kind sure. of clients you tend to work with? Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm uh, excited to be here and, uh, you know, be able to be a resource for you and, and all the listeners and, you know, all the business owners. Uh, my background is I'm a CPA. Um, I don't practice anymore. I did my time at uh, some of the large firms, uh, Deloitte & Touche, BDO Seedman, and 
went back to uh, NYU to get my master's. And upon graduating, decided that I didn't want to go back into corporate America. I uh, <laughs> right. really wanted to do something that made a difference for people. And some friends and I started a company called Let's Talk Business. And 19, it was started a little bit earlier. In fact, we had a radio show called Let's Talk Business, all about franchising. <laughs> and that's the where we started. And from there, we started building what we called at the time, entrepreneurial support communities. Mm -hmm. So bringing business owners together um, for them to talk about the different issues and challenges they face in their business. So one of the one of the biggest challenges that we discovered was the issue of isolation. Most entrepreneurs don't have anybody to talk to about what's going on in their business, their problems, their challenges. They can't bring it home to their spouse who really doesn't understand what they're going through. And I facilitated a lot of the groups. We started a franchise at the time. So we had a few units. Mm -hmm. We uh, actually started work with uh, some major corporations who realized that they are selling their products through entrepreneurs. And if we can help them become better business owners, then they're going to sell more of their products. So we started working with companies like IBM and Avaya and Mitel, really to talk to them about the business. Then in 2004, something happened to us that happens to a lot of businesses is that we got divorced. <laughs> right? No one tells you that when you're starting no. up a business with other people, you, you might go through a business divorce. We did. And we had four partners who had different ideas and directions on how to grow the business. Mm -hmm. And two of them went in one direction, um, one went in another. And I was just able to walk away because it just neither path was attractive for me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talked to them about was we, actually we talked to all the entrepreneurs about is creating buy-sell agreements. Right. Um, you know, as an attorney, you know how important they are is, Absolutely. you know, when things are good, you know, and everybody's happy, mm -hmm. that's the best time to put the what ifs down on paper mm -hmm. and to fund them properly. So, you know, what if one of the partners just wants to leave? Right. That what is if, an important question. Yeah. I mean, um, and so many people don't realize that, you know, a lot of the buy sells, you know, when you say, okay, I'm going to have to come up with, um, you know, half the value of the business and maybe, right. maybe that's $500,000 and, you know, yeah. someone's looking at that, you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't have $500,000 cash, um, right. you know, but they don't realize that this could potentially be funded, right? You're going to tell us with life insurance. Well, so there are different, right, there are different ways to fund it. So mm -hmm. if, you know, if Laura, if you and I are partners and one of us passes away, right, then we can use life insurance, mm -hmm. right, owned by the company. And there are certain ways to structure it such that, you know, if the business is worth, your half is worth half a million dollars, then half a million dollars would come into my financial world and I would be able to buy your shares from yeah. your estate and everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the funding mechanisms that most business owners miss is that what if one of us becomes disabled? Right. That's and a big, that's a big issue because, you know, the, it's not the same kind of like instant payout, even if you no. carry disability insurance, which is costly, sure. but even if you decided to do that, um, there isn't, you know, an immediate lump sum payment, typically it's more monthly, you know, kind of right. checks. Right. So you can buy what they call disability buyout insurance. Oh, look at that. And which is special. So it's specifically for partners mm -hmm. and for mm -hmm. business owners 
who want to have a funding mechanism because, you know, Laura, if you and I are partners and one of us gets sick, we mm-hmm. still each own half the business. Right. And suddenly, you know, if, if I'm sick, you're having to, to carry my weight. Right. And you're still but, entitled to your half. And I'm still entitled to my proceeds. Right. You, um, you know, and legally, that's a that's a very tricky situation, plus emotionally. But, um, you know, legally, that's that's very complicated. Right. And, and so the third funding source, you know, could be from the cash flow of the business. And the question is, will the business be able to have enough cash flow? Right. To be able to buy one of us out. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, um, you know, if one, we'll talk a little bit later about how you transition a business, what are the choices you have? And if you transfer to an insider, which could be a partner, there's the possibility of double taxation. Mm-hmm. Right? It really this, is. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of business owners don't know this. So you really need to have any agreement you have reviewed, right? By an attorney like yourself, you need to coordinate with somebody like myself who knows the financial aspects of it. And it has to be done when everyone's happy. Right? <laughs> it's, it, it, those, it can be hard to line up all those stars, yeah. but it is important to, to try and do that because what you're saying uh, makes total sense that, you know, I mean, I have, I have a client recently who's going to make a, a pretty substantial investment and there's a, a group of three of them, um, you know, and they're all best friends and, and they're all very excited and um, you know, right now. right now they're all very excited, right. but right. you know how this may, I mean, I'm saying, I'm not saying it will go badly, but no. it could, um, it could. And, and, you know, a lot of life is, is about evaluating and judging risk and saying, okay, how do I mitigate that? Right. And, and mitigation in this kind of risk is done through doing a buy sell agreement. And how do you fund that when everyone is happy? Like you said, yeah. Well, and the reason why I say that is it was a law firm that I worked with where the partners weren't happy. And Mm. in the middle of the, they were working on their buy-sell agreement when things weren't going great. And so it just put a tremendous amount of stress on the practice. Mm. Um, Now, one of the things that is really important and it's been fascinating to me is most business owners, I think it's 98% of business owners don't know the value of their business. No, that's, that's absolutely correct. Almost no business owner that I've ever worked with, whether it was my client was selling or my client was buying, um, there, there's almost no one who does any kind of consistent valuation or right. wants to pay for evaluation. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's important to note as well that, you know, how things are valued, there is no, um, you know, one truth right? Mm -hmm. It is subjective. Mm -hmm. It is something where, uh, you know, there may be an approach to valuation, for example, for uh, tax purposes, where, you know, frankly, we all want to (laughs) minimize value Mm -hmm. if it's going Mm -hmm. into your estate, if we're doing gift transfers, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, However, if we're looking at selling a business, we want to say the value is very high and it's wonderful. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I think that's another reason that a lot of people you know, in addition to just not, um, you know, not really knowing about how to do, you know, kind of at least back of napkin valuation, there's there's a lot of confusion out there. There, there is, and and you brought us some really great points. Is that the reason why business owners don't have valuations done on a regular basis, if at all, is because it's typically expensive. Yep. It takes a tremendous amount of time away from them working in their business, mm-hmm. and they just they believe because it's their baby, it's probably worth more to them, right, than to anyone else. Right. And 
you know, the example I like to use is I had a 2010 Volvo S80 that I loved, <laughs> loved. I would pour money into this car. I mean, my wife just wanted to get rid of it. <laughs> to me, it was worth everything, right? right? To anybody else, it cost me money. It cost me money to have somebody take it off my driveway. Right. So, <laughs> right. It costs, yeah, exactly. And so, I think that, you know, and, and a lot of people when they're evaluating going into a business or, you know, a franchise opportunity in particular, um, you know, it, it's that old saying, you know, from our, our friend, you know, Stephen Covey, you know, begin with the end in mind. It may right. be a relevant question during your due diligence to mm -hmm. say, okay, you know, historically, what have the multiples been for sale or, you know, how is price determined? You know, if in 10 years, I want to sell this business, right? At least let me know today what the multiple would be, because sure. you're not going to get, uh, you know, just one year worth of sales. I had that one time where someone just thought that, well, my business, you know, we sold at a gross level, gross sales of 1 million last year. So I should get 1 million. It's like, okay, well, you had a lot of expenses. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. they're not really like a fair picture so that's just an example people don't know um mm -hmm. but it's it's really critical to start you know kind of at least putting a toe in the water as part of the planning process to say right. okay uh, you know like food service you know retail tends to say you know for the most part in maybe one two three x multiples mm -hmm. you know tech will move up a lot more, healthcare will move up a lot more. Um, and, and that's not really surprising when you kind of think about like what are hot industries, right? right. But yeah. but if you don't know that, right. you're about to feel devastated. And the last thing you want to do is know when you're about to exit your business. So mm -hmm. so one of the things that I do, I'm a what they call a certified exit planner. Mm -hmm. I've got a designation from uh, um, an organization out in Colorado where we've studied mm -hmm. this. And so one of the first things I do when I work with somebody is we have, there's certain technology that we have to be able to get a good valuation of a business, create a, um, a business valuation report along with key performance indicators. And all we really need is three years tax return and some current financials. Mm -hmm. so, and that's, that's really critical. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm chair of the, the Chicago chapter of the Exit Planning Exchange. And so ah, we spend great. a ton great. of time uh, talking about issues like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just being able to get even a, a more basic um, mm -hmm. valuation. I mean, Ray, have you heard from any other owners or have you thought at all about, you know, how people are valuing things in your industry? I, I think that's an interesting topic because, uh, of course, my business to me is, is, is worth probably a lot more than I can ever get for it but that's because I love what I do um, and at my particular stage in life it's a constant reminder of what I should be doing and whether I should go ahead and, and you know sell it or keep it or or uh, right now I enjoy what I'm doing and mm -hmm. that is um, part-time in the business and, uh, and my uh, managing uh, you know the, the people I have, and it, it, right now it, it's it's working out for me. But there's always that constant thought. Uh, you know, what is it? What is the business really worth? And would whatever I got for it would it carry me through to the you know mm -hmm. to my demise? And that's that's you such know. an important question. I think that that's like the fundamental question that most owners need help with. Right? Is is can mm -hmm. the price that 
they might get plus you know whatever they have saved um is it is it enough right that's right um, well that's that's, that's yeah. a very you know what they will do that'll determine the outcome frequently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. is that something of... is that something that you guys help with mike at kind yeah. of analysis that's actually kind of the the, the core work mm -hmm. from the exit planning point of view that we do so what we do is we take a look at you know what the entrepreneur has on the personal balance sheet right what they have what they want like how much income do they want what is their life going to look like after they exit their business however they transition it right and there are there are a couple different ways i mean i mentioned before you could transfer it to an insider that's a partner employees you know there are pluses and minuses of doing that you could sell mm -hmm. to an outsider or you could just die with the business i mean a lot of service <laughs> companies do that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so what we do is First thing we do is take a look at what they have on their balance sheet. We talk a look at what they want from an income point of view. And then we use this tool that's very similar to, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Zillow. You know, yeah. you can go online. And so mm -hmm. using big data and technology that's out there, we can get a pretty good valuation of the business mm -hmm. and say, well, if you exited your business today for this amount of money, would that provide enough for you to maintain the lifestyle that you want to live? Now, if it, a lot of people are not ready to exit, but they just need to know the number. Yep, they yeah. need to have some, some baseline, right? Right, and if there's a gap, which most people do, right, then we have to figure out, you know, like Ray, you were mentioning, you know, when's the right time to exit? That's you know, right. do you add value, and we call them value drivers, how do you add value to the business to get the valuation up, right? Because one of the things business owners often forget is that whatever you sell your business, Uncle Sam's coming knocking at the door. Right, you're gonna... you're basically losing a third or a half. I mean, it's, it, it is. Uh, yeah. you you're not getting you know the five hundred thousand or whatever oh. it is. Yeah, <laughs> I, have a, I have a client I've been working with to get him exit ready for about five right. years. You know, so mm -hmm. I helped him with the financial planning side, which right. is you know helping protect his financial world. We talked about his personal investing. How do you move money from the business? balance mm -hmm. sheet, personal balance sheet in right. a tax efficient way. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Amen. Then, <laughs> and Amen. then what happened was somebody came to him and said, I want to buy your business. And we did the planning to say, if you sold it for this amount and you netted this amount, what is your life going to look like going forward? Mm -hmm. And he got the check last on the 20th, actually. Ooh, exciting. Okay. It was very exciting. And he felt confident to know that he was going to be okay. Right. Like, and that's, that's what we want to know. Th that's so critical. Um, and I know, you know, you and I having this sort of shared emphasis, right, in our professional lives about right. exit planning, right? You know, we, we think that the, you know, more time, like you said, five years, right? You know, and for some people, that's, that's like too much time. Um, right. You know, would you say like one year, two years, you know, to get ready, if you want to be intentional about it, not sure. just happenstance and like, well, somebody came to me and offered me, mm -hmm. you know, this, that how, right. how do I, you know, if they were really going to actually plan, um, right. how much time would you, you know, kind of encourage them to take? So the day after they start their business, <laughs> the day they time. But I mean, in all seriousness, we're, if you think about why we go into business, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us are going in because we have a purpose. It's not just to make money. A lot of times, especially in a lot of businesses, you know, 
home health care. Um, you know, a lot of people get involved in there where, you know, I have a friend who is a respiratory therapist and the husband's a nurse and they have a, you know, they have a purpose in their business. And then other people have purpose to make money, but they want to give to charity or they want to leave it to their kids or they want mm -hmm. to exit. So, you know, what in my mind is, is the best time to plant, um, you know, I think it's a, a bonsai tree was right. 20 years ago. Yep. Trees. Mm -hmm. right? so, the best time is today. Right. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm thinking is, you know, I like to work with, you know, business owners between, you know, around three to five years out. Right. Also business owners who are about to get the biggest check of their life. Right. Cause they mm -hmm. work so hard for it. Make right. sure that they don't gamble mm -hmm. and speculate and lose it. That's important. Right. People think suddenly, well, I, I got $5 million, you know, it doesn't matter. I can buy that boat. That's right. You know, <laughs> I can buy, you know, a, a place, you know, in the country I can buy, you know, it's so much money and it's like, slow down. <laughs> yeah. So we need to manage cash flow, And, you know, we mentioned taxes. You know, I'm working with another client who's about to sell his business for $30 million. He's, he'll get, um, he's a partner and we're trying to figure out the best ways for him to either defer okay. or reduce his capital gains tax. Right. There are a few strategies that are available, right? But they all involve giving up the capital for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So that you have to think about it, you know, is right. it worth it? Right. You can't, you can't get the money and not pay the tax. <laughs> no, no, a lot uh, they, they figured that, that one out. Yeah. 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 And, and they forget that. They're like, I'm getting a million dollars. And they realize, no, I'm only getting 700 net. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not enough. So how do I add value? Well, if you're three to five, seven years out, you know, we can work to create these value drivers so that you become exit ready. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's relevant too to, yeah. to think about the fact that, you know, for a lot of franchisees, um, they, you know, the, it's common that the term of the franchise agreement is 10 years, right? right. Um, and so a lot of franchisees, you know, if, if they are entrepreneurially minded, like most are, um, a lot of them may decide to sell their business. Maybe, you know, some of them I've had where, you know, they sell in year four, some of mm -hmm. them sell year, but more commonly they'll sell like year seven, year eight. Um, right. You know, they've, they've had their fun, they enjoyed the concept, but they're not going to make it, you know, their life's work, they're not going right. to buy more outlets. Um, and so in, in that kind of situation where we know that that is a typical time, right, to, that they're, they're going to be some a sale, right, maybe they start thinking about it at year six, um, you know, when, how, how would you advise them, you know, what should they be thinking about in terms of timing? Well, the, the same thing. I mean, it really comes down to what's the value of your business, right? How much money do you have on your uh, balance sheet to produce the income that you're going to want? Is the value of the business going to be able to do that for you? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, you know, people are not ready to retire. No. You know, most entrepreneurs, you know, are entrepreneurs at heart. Yep. And they're not going to sit by the pool and play tennis and golf and dominoes. No, no they're mm -hmm. always... Buzzing yeah. with some new yeah. ideas. Coming up with something else. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, rule, the rule of thumb I heard about setting, getting your business ready to sell is at least two years. Mm -hmm. now, I would, yeah, to be organized. Yeah, yeah you, you've got to get the book straightened out so that it, you know most people can understand it. And they say it's going to take at least two years. And uh, 
you mentioned something about uh, when do you start planning and you said when you open your business and uh, I'm going to quote Stephen Covey here and say you begin with the end in mind for everything you do in business and you should be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Ray, like, I agree with you and there are other things, there are other factors involved. So the earlier you start, the better, because, you know, an owner or someone going to buy the business, you know, may want to have their key employees go with them. Mm -hmm. So we need to start thinking about how do you lock in some of your key employees that you can't lose that add value to the business such that they don't leave. And right. so putting together, you know, non-qualified deferred compensation plans, you know, mm -hmm. providing them with ways to be able to make sure that their key employees don't leave upon the transfer of the business when the owner's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. There needs to be certain incentives involved to make them want to stay at least for the transition or for a couple more years for the new. Right. For the new and, and I've seen those in all different, you know, types and forms. Um, we yeah. could probably have a whole session just on that. But, you know, we're so glad that, that you were able to join us today. Thank you. Um, you know, tell everyone your contact information so they can reach out to you. Sure. Um, my email address is M-R-I-N-G-E-L at strategies for wealth. That's F-O-R-Wealth.com. And my phone number is 917-734-4748. And, you know, if anybody feel free to call me, there's there's no cost to a conversation. And you know, find out about you and your business and, you know, share with you some ideas and, and we can go from there. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we really appreciate all your insights thank today. You. Thank yeah, you. Very thank you, Mike. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Fred. Hey, franchise owners. How's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine.com. Jerry, you're back. I am here, Kristen. Good to see you. Good to see you too. We've been looking for you. Oh man, it's been crazy, Kristen. You know, I've been busy. I've been all over the country. This uh, franchise life is just nuts sometimes. <laughs> that it is. But I know you've got some great news for us out of DC. You know, every time we go to DC, now this was with the International Franchise Association. It's yep. the annual leadership conference and fly-in. So you spend a couple days in educational things related to what's going on in the franchising world. And then you spend a day on the Hill uh, in pre-scheduled appointments with your representatives and senators. And it's always amazing. Uh, this year was interesting, Kristen, because there just wasn't a lot of really critical stuff we needed to talk about this year, partially because, you know, we fought a lot of battles in the last year and everything's kind of just 
in a status type situation right now. So not a lot. We had a couple big asks that we want them sure. to take a look at, but it was amazing, you know, uh, hanging out with some of the best franchisees and franchisors in the nation is always wonderful. And uh, this was no different. So I, uh, I want more people to come to it next year. Well, I did, I, I did investigate it actually, as a matter of fact, and, you know, I will say for any franchisees or potential franchisees out there listening, um, you know, I've been a member of IFA for several years, but I never really done anything until this past year when I went to San Diego. And then, well, to be quite honest, I just got jealous that you kept going to DC. So I'm like, well, what the heck is going on in DC? And I'm like, oh my God, I totally could have gone to that. That would have been a great event for me to be at. And I would have really learned a lot and been able to actually talk to some of these representatives who, by the way, have been in office for far too long and say, hey, like, what are you doing here? You know, I would have loved that time. So for people out there who are listening, it is not too late to get involved. It's not too late to join IFA um, and the Franchise Act Act, uh, Action Network is another great place to be involved. So tell us what are some of the great things that you brought home from that meeting? Sure, sure. So the two big asks we had this year, uh, the it's every 10 years, they, uh, they uh, review the FTC rule regarding uh, the FTDs that, or FDDs that we all uh, live and breathe by. And it's coming up. And there have been some proposed changes to it that, in our opinion, are not necessary and, frankly, will make it much more difficult on franchisors, and that will end up making it much more difficult on franchisees. So, basically, we ask them to, uh, of course, consider our offer and just take a look at it and see, because it's been working for like 40 years. It works great. We just need it to be left alone. You know, and one of the arguments is that there's not enough protection for franchisees, and yet, mm -hmm. 90, I, I, we, they're just, IFA just did a study and like 96% of the franchisees are still in love with their franchise system, think right. they got everything they were looking for and then some. Uh, so a lot of times these rules or potential rules are driven by a handful of people who um, in many cases may just not be happy with the decision they made and they, they, they need another avenue to follow to try and get some uh, some compensation or something so we asked if they would leave it alone it seems as though uh they're leaning that way so hopefully that goes okay. very well and the other ask that we had it hits me close to home certainly there's probably i would say tens of thousands of other franchise owners out there that are in the same situation we uh during the recovery from the covid uh pandemic mm -hmm. uh we were approved for the ertc which right. was the uh, employee retention tax credit yep. uh, for uh, several months. In fact, if you uh, were approved for the third quarter, then you're automatically approved for the fourth quarter. Well, in the fourth quarter, they decided they wanted that money for something else. So they said, just kidding, franchisees. Right. We're going to take it back from you and you don't get that money. Well, us and again, tens of thousands of other business owners had already given raises to employees, done some other yeah. things like we were supposed to do right. to retain employees, already spent the money and then they, they took it back. So the second ask was to put that back into play to anybody who had been pre-approved for that should get it because they had made yeah. decisions based on that. Um, there, Everybody was in favor of it. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, there's no money for it. So um, the only way that gets approved, if it's, if it's attached to the end of year 
spending bill that they're still trying to hash out. And uh, there'll be a thousand different, you know, pet projects that are trying to be attached to that. So we don't know what's oh, going to sure. happen. Um, there is uh, there is some optimism, but no guarantees. But the bottom line is uh, the optimism keeps me optimistic. And I think they hear sure. what we've got to say. And there's some real potential in it uh, coming into place. So well, good you know, stuff. I have to say, you know, voting day is right around the corner. And so anybody who owns a small business or anybody who has a franchise, these are kind of issues that we need to be looking up before we go and cast our vote. Because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these people sitting in these seats of power are getting filthy rich. We're little business people who are out here doing the right thing for the economy, for our employees, for their families, and to then have money pulled back. It's not like they're giving up their paychecks but we're asked to give up our employees' paychecks and the money that we were promised. So, you know, I would just encourage everybody, again, if you're, I'm not a political person, but I'll tell you, I'm tired of seeing these guys go on and collect their checks and then screw the business people. That's just not yeah. right. Well, the bottom line, uh, you guys talked about inflation and recession and things like that early on. And yeah. uh, everybody's fighting that battle. And when you make a business plan several months or even a year in advance based on a certain amount of revenue or income from other sources, anything yeah. that happens that changes that, whether yeah. you cause it or some, or your representatives representatives do, it, it really puts a strain on businesses. And you know, we there were a lot of stories in D.C. about businesses that have failed because they didn't get that Q4 money. So- yeah. um, you know, for them, it'll be too late, but hopefully for the rest of us, it's in play. But Kristen, the best news came. Uh, we make a lot of noise when we're in D.C. Uh, there were <laughs> 400 franchisees and franchisors on the Hill all in the same day talking to their reps. Well, there had been some conversation in the background about uh, a bill that is now just today uh, got presented for consideration. And uh, it is uh, going to deal with joint employer. You know, we've been fighting that bogeyman oh. for a dozen years or longer. Uh -huh. um, depending on who's in power, it either comes back or it goes away or it comes back or whatever. Um, we can see what it has done to places like California. There has been anything that's happened relating to that employee-employer relationship. Yep. And so uh, I'm going to read this list of, uh, of senators because I think it's important we know who at least on this one are working for us. Senator okay, Ag Agnes King, Angus King, uh, brought this forth today. Senators Manchin, Cinema, Lankford, Tillis, Collins, and Cornyn uh, actually are pushing it. And it yeah. is going to create a barrier between franchisees and franchisors when it's related to the relationship with employees. And really it, what it says is a trademark which is what we as franchisees buy, right? It's yep, a trademark. Yep. A trademark may not be considered as establishing a relationship between a franchisor and a franchisee relating to their employees. So awesome. they're trying to go beyond a committee ruling, sure. uh, which is a part of the labor department relating to joint employer and say, uh, we as Congress, understand the franchisee franchise or relationship and there will be no established relationship relating to franch uh, to employees so we are in hopes that this goes through uh, that yeah. was really good news uh, frankly you know we've got some pretty strong people that are uh, attached to this thing so if they can get some votes in place we know that the people we talked to last week 
were in favor of anything they could do to deal with the joint employer situation. So that was positive. I will keep you apprised on all of those things in, in the shows coming up. Excellent. And I hope you get Grassley in check on that since he's your guy. <laughs> Grassley's easy. <laughs> Grassley's easy. You know, he's a, he was a farmer, which is a yeah. small business. So anything related yeah. to small businesses, he goes, this is common sense. This is logic. Let's just get it done and move hey. on. Exactly, exactly. So, so we got to get all these guys on the same page. That's great news, Jerry, and I hope to see that that happens. Last piece, because Fred's going to ask if we don't deal with it. You know, Fred always wants to know, is this a good time to for people to look at a franchise system? I saw massive amounts of positive vibes from franchisees and franchisors in D.C. There's yep. a lot of really positive things. Yes, staffing is an issue. issue. Uh, in particular in food service, but it certainly yeah. impacts the rest of us. Uh, but overall, it's still a very positive time to look at that. The relationship in uh, success in a franchise system as opposed to non-franchise businesses is still actually growing as we go into a recession. Right. I think that's awesome. And you know, a lot of that was um, we had talked about with, with um, Mike as well. And I, I want to say one quote that I found on their website, Strategies for Wealth, it's just something to kind of keep in mind and to the same point you're making about it being a good time. And their quote said, it's to live past yourself, mm -hmm. right? And we talk a lot about building that legacy. And I think that that's really a great quote that really helps define what franchising is about and how you can build a future for your family. So mm -hmm. uh, Mike, again, thanks for being on the show and for having that on your website. It really made me stop and think today when I looked at that. Thanks so. for having me. I had a great time. Awesome. Kristen, great as always. I look forward to next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jerry, for all you do. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, we wanna give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at franchiseshow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have calling guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned, more coming up. Wow, that logo looks great, doesn't it? it does. I love it. <laughs> So Laura, you and I are going to have a little chat. What are we talking about this afternoon? Well, I mean, whatever you think is on your mind, but I'm happy to talk about anything related to franchising and their financial questions and how, you know, they're evaluating kind of some of these topics that we were talking about with Mike. Well, I think it's really interesting, actually, and, and I appreciate you bringing it to the forefront when we talk about, you know, the same things we've always stolen from Covey again and again and again as beginning with the end in mind, right? And uh, we tend to beat that drum often, but it's because it's really so important. And when I work with um, clients who want to buy a franchise, I mean, those are the, the that's at the crux of everything, because if I don't know where somebody wants to be in five or 10 years, it's really hard to help them find the right model that's going to fit that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's kind of a, a, 
a good thing. And, and I really enjoyed you and Mike talking about some of the different funding opportunities, because that tends to be one of the real big issues that people have is the fear of not having money or where do I get money? Absolutely. And I think that, uh, I mean, I learned something new about the disability, you know, lump fund, lump sum, excuse me, funding. Um, I think that's a, that's a really great option uh, that I'll have to keep in mind when I'm advising clients in the future. But um, you know, the, the life insurance policies are out there. Um, you know, I, I won't mince words that the policies can be costly if the parties are older, right? Because uh-huh. as we all get older, right, there is an increased yeah. risk that we're, we might yeah. pass away. Uh, yeah. So there's more risk to the insurance company that they would have to pay and, you know, how that's going to play out. Um, sure. But it is still a much better deal than trying yeah. to come up with Five hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever it is, well, even just more. yeah, even more, whatever yeah. it may be. Mm-hmm. We um, there's some things we could talk about offline, but you know there are ways to uh, use depending on how big the policy is and like how old they are. I mean, we can use premium financing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways mm-hmm. to be able to have other, use other people's money to finance the policies, right? And and be able to do that. The the other thing I can share with you is we we. We implement a unique strategy. We 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 set up what we call uh, an insurance LLC, mm-hmm. right? Where the part with the business owners, let's say they're multiple owners, right? If you have three, four, or five owners, you don't want to be buying policies on everybody, right? What you do is we create a, a insurance LLC that owns all the insurance. It owns the disability insurance. It owns all the life insurance, so that there's just one policy per person, right? And an agreement, and the, the the business owners actually own it. You know, they own the LLC. And that's how we design and set it up. Um, this way, it's just, it's pretty easy and simple. But, you know, and, and the other thing you mentioned, it was the disability buyout insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually really not that expensive when you look into it. Um, mm-hmm. And it'd be more than happy to share with you, you know, some ideas on, you know, how to use it effectively. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. You know, we talked, uh, we've been talking around here about how do you, you know, most people who are getting ready to buy or invest in a franchise are at a point where they've kind of done their thing. And this is this is the exception to all of our um, Gen Zs out there, right? M- most of them don't have grown children yet, right? But there's a, a lion's share of people who have children who are about to go off to college or they've gone off to college and there's multiple demands on what money they do have. And so it's really important to understand, you know, what funding sources you have out there, what you have available to you to purchase and invest in these businesses. So um, I'm sorry. No, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important to work with someone like Mike, find a wealth strategist, somebody not just an accountant always time, always each and every time is um, poised and educated in all of these different options, nor are they necessarily somebody that is familiar with, um, say, franchising in general. So um, that's that's really important. I mean, there's there's a lot of really qualified folks out there, but it doesn't mean that you know the person who who has been a, a good resource for you know your family while you guys have you know two W two jobs and right. you're just kind of you know regular. Uh, earnings yeah. that may not be the right cpa when you have your own business sure now, I'll, I'll i'll share I, some stories 
So what my experience working with accountants is most of them uh, just record history, mm -hmm. right? What'd you do this year? What'd you do? There's really nothing mm -hmm. to do with taxes and, you know, see you again next year. Right. There are a couple that are entrepreneurial who just happen to be in the accounting business. Mm -hmm. And so it's amazing to me. So for example, you know, you could set up a 401k profit sharing for your company to you know, save for retirement. But most business owners don't know, and most accountants don't even know how to implement what they call cash balance plans or defined benefit plans, where I have business owners putting away six figures a year, right? getting huge tax deductions. So moving money from the, the business to their personal world, you know, the doctor practice I work with, you know, the doctors were putting away, you know, 150 to 200 a year and giving away this amount to the employees. And it was just, it was just amazing. And their accountant never told them about it. Right. Yeah. Basically just said, yeah, you know, just, you know, fund your 401k. Right. Well, and I want to, I want to make sure that people understand as we are talking about these things, this is why we recommend that you work with somebody who's a professional in the industry, yep. right? It, you know, obviously here at Pillars of Franchising, we try to keep a list of all these professionals that we've talked to people that we've vetted, that we trust, we understand that have the know-how to help you get set up with the right stuff mm -hmm. to be successful, especially financially. And, you know, Ray and I have talked about it before and, and Jerry mentioned it too. You know, you should always be ready for that rainy day, right? Because you never know when, you know, I open my business recession hit, right? Then the sure. next thing we're all screaming along and COVID comes to town. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen and working with somebody who helps you plan ahead and plan for rainy days um, really is a great idea. So with that, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, Michael, and, and thanks for being on our show today. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode as well as any other that you might like. Um, sure. And thank you to Jerry Akers, Ray Pillar, our Million Dollar Mentors, Laura Liss, our franchise attorney, and Fred McMurray and Elizabeth Denham, our producers. I'm Kristen Shalmetsi, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and remember that your dream starts here. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.